Welcome to this episode of Portraits of Music. I'm Ross Sievertson. And I'm Clay Couturio, music director and conductor of the Richardson Symphony Orchestra. So we're here this afternoon with Nicole Van Every and Will Hughes talking about the December 5th Holiday Classic Concert. Thank you for being with us this afternoon, folks. Hi, it's good to be here. Maestro, would you like to tell us a little bit about the concert and introduce it? Absolutely. Yeah, we have a wonderful program this year for our holiday classics. Uh, It's a little different. Uh, It's about an hour's worth of music, and uh, there's no intermission. And we have, as you just mentioned, Ross, two wonderful soloists, and I'd like... uh, Uh, for our audience to get to know them right now. So uh, just a few questions Um, for each of you. Just tell us a little bit about your background. Um, Nicole, we'll start with you. What's your first musical memory? Oh, it's um, my first musical memory was was singing in church. Um, I remember being really young and singing next to my mom hymns. And my mom has this gorgeous alto voice, so she would always harmonize with me. And that became kind of my first exposure to singing. And then, of course, through choir and school. And then um, I had some successes with all-state choir while in high school and decided to go into music for my career. That's wonderful. So so you said your mom sang also. You come from a musical family? I do. My dad plays guitar really well. My mom is an excellent singer. Actually, my mom and all of her sisters, she has three sisters. They all sing. And my grandmother as well. But none of them are professional musicians. My mom's a nurse. Um, But she, you know, music has always been a really important integral part of our family. And it's how we share time together. Um, So it's always been with me ever since growing up. That was through high school. And did you uh, study at a university or a conservatory or anything like that? I actually um, went to a private Lutheran school in northern Iowa. So I'm originally from Iowa, but um, the the Lutheran school was called Waldorf College. So if you've ever heard of Luther College or St. Olaf, it's very much in that um, vein of schools. And they have a really strong um, choral program. So they have the second oldest a cappella choir in the nation. And I studied there and majored in voice performance, but also did a double major in communications. Wow. That, that's a lot of classes, isn't it? It really was. <laughs> you have two majors. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Will, what about you? What first got you into music? Um, well, my story is not too dissimilar to Nicole's, um, other than the fact that my family... Um, wasn't super into say organized music. My mom has a, um, a very lovely voice, but she never learned how to read music or play any instruments, but she can, um, pick up things by ear and, and, uh, and she always sang to us growing up. So I, I think my earliest memory is probably her singing lullabies, uh, to me and my siblings. Mm -hmm. Um, and then like Nicole, I grew up, uh, going to being a, a part of choirs um, in school. And it was just kind of something I did. I was sort of following in the footsteps of my brother, um, my older brother who was going through that. And I just thought, well, if he's doing it, seems like a cool thing to do. So I'll keep doing it. And uh, it probably took until 
uh, my junior year of high school when uh, I had a, a fantastic choir teacher who um, heard a lot of potential and insisted that I audition for the Allstate Choir um, and uh, had some success with that. And um, I also um, decided to uh, audition for the school musical and had some success with that. And it was my experience um, in those things and being up on stage and, and um, yeah, learning the music, performing the music, where I was like, oh, wow, this is, this is a pretty cool thing. And, uh, and so I decided to pursue it and uh, went off to school. I went to Wheaton College in Illinois um, and got a bachelor's in music degree there and uh, in, in vocal performance. And then I got my master's in vocal performance and pedagogy from Westminster Choir College in New Jersey. That's great. Both of you, uh, it, it is a similar story. And that's a story that a lot of musicians, sounds like a lot of musicians. And by the time you reach high school, you know, all of the things that you're doing, you have to start to choose and become more focused on that area. And, and of course, both of you went the music route. Um, who inspired you during the, this time from high school and into college? Did you have any, anyone in particular that inspired you uh, while you were still studying? For me, um, it was definitely my family. Again, you know, being such a musical family, they were always very, very supportive in my career choice of going into music. But once I got to Waldorf College, um, my voice teacher, Julie Holton, was very inspirational to me. Mm -hmm. And she kind of took me under her wing. And I had never, when I was singing, I knew choral music, but I never really explored the solo classical side of my voice. And so Julie was the one to really open that side of my voice up. And I actually trained as a mezzo for my entire duration of my undergrad. I didn't switch to soprano until I moved to Oklahoma and did my doctorate in voice. So I was a mezzo for years. And um, But anyway, she was very inspirational to me. And, and that change to soprano, was that your decision or your teachers? Or how did that come about? Definitely my teachers. Uh, I was always afraid of going high uh, in my range. And so when I came to OU, I studied with a baritone who, um, his name is Kim Josephson. And he's taught at OU for a number of years, but actually just took a position at the Frost School of Music in Florida in this past uh -huh. fall. Yep, in Miami. Um, but he was instrumental in helping me find a higher range. And it actually turned out that I felt more at home when I was up higher. And so I don't think I would ever go back in starting as a mezzo because now I have a very unique color to my voice and low notes are never a big deal for me. So I have a pretty wide range, which I credit to starting as a mezzo, but now being able to expand to very high soprano rep, is kind of fun. Sure. And Will, how about you, about uh, people who inspired you along the way, especially during your training? Uh, yeah, I mean, educators, right? I mean, I, I alluded to my choir teacher in high school who was instrumental. Um, my theater teacher in high school uh, was really instrumental in helping me kind of break out of my, my shell a bit and um, be okay with being up on stage and in front of people. Uh, and again, like Nicole, my, my voice teacher in in college, um, Jerry Sundberg, uh, 
Yeah, just an amazing technician, and um, and it sounds sort of cliche to say, but it's true. I mean, became a really good friend of mine, and and sort mm-hmm. of a a surrogate uh, father figure um, uh, while I was away from home uh, for a few years, uh, and yeah, just uh, a really great inspiration, uh, and not just with how he taught, but even in in watching him perform too. Um, just kind of the way he carried himself and, and the quality of his, his musicianship. Um, uh, I really uh, admired and looked up to. It's, it's amazing. You know, classroom teachers can be influential to the greatest degree, but that's, there's a special relationship between your applied teacher on your instrument. That one-on-one relationship uh, means a lot. Mm-hmm. It's just absolutely always, always glad to hear uh, when people talk about that. Let's talk about uh, the different types of music that you perform. What Describe the different types of music that you typically perform, Nicole. Sure. Um, so the majority of my professional singing career has actually been in concert solo music. Uh-huh. And so I do a lot of Haydn and Beethoven and Mozart. Um, but I also do opera And my first professional gig, actually, after school, was singing the lead in Verdi's La Traviata here in Oklahoma City. We have a relatively new opera company, which is really exciting, called Painted Sky Opera. Mm -hmm. And so when I heard that they started, I emailed them right away and said I was interested in helping out in any way I could. And um, it just so happened that they were holding auditions for La Traviata and I got the lead and it was um, an experience I'll never forget. I think Violetta is my favorite role to sing. They brought me back for their second season to sing Tosca, which is quite a different role, but also just <laughs> fun. <laughs> um, but I also do jazz gigs. I have a lot of jazz performances under my belt. I love the standards of the 30s and 40s. So I sing with jazz combos quite a bit. That's a wide array. That's great. First of all, that's uh-huh. a, quite a first role for your first uh, production. That's wonderful. Yes. Yeah. For my first professional one, I did a lot of lead roles in school. Um, so at OU and also where I did my undergrad and my master's. But my first professional role was, yeah, Violetta. So it was a good way to to get my feet wet, for sure. <laughs> you mentioned jazz in addition to classical, and, and mm-hmm. the venues are very different. Tell us the differences, in your opinion, as a performer, and in, in that not just the style of music, but really uh, jazz can be done in jazz clubs and the different right. types of venues than the, the large concert stage. How, how do you adapt as a performer? Um, you know, for me, it's really easy um, because... You know, I would say that when I'm performing jazz, of course, the atmosphere is more laid back. It's not necessarily a concert style. People are eating or drinking or talking and you're just there, you know, to entertain. Um, So I, you know, in the sense that it's more laid back than when you're actually on the stage with the spotlight on you and you're, you know, working with an orchestra or conductor, it's quite different. Mm But as far as being prepared, you know, it's all just sharing your art, sharing music with people. So, you know, I don't get more nervous for one type of gig than another. Um, It's it's all just making music and having fun. And no matter what type of music it is, I I embrace it fully. 
we always have to remember why are we doing this and it is it is uh, yeah. for the art but remember that it, when uh to have fun like you said that's right have fun that's always my motto is have fun yep, never lose sight of that well how about you as far as the different types of music that you typically perform uh so i would say um majority of my career uh, up to this point has been mostly opera and concert, uh, work. Yeah. I mean, from singing with different companies, um, both locally and, uh, around the country, but also a lot of churches, um, around the country as well, just singing. Yeah. Different. It's mostly been opera and, and concert work. Okay. Um, let me ask you both this. We have our concert, of course, on December 5th. Uh, and we will all get together and, and have rehearsal and, and uh, then performance, and it happens really fast. What is your creative process like? What do you do before? Just describe to our audience what you have to do before you even get to the rehearsal with myself and the orchestra. Nicole? Yeah, for me, um, I really love researching the history about pieces. I feel more connected if I know who wrote it and what the inspiration for the piece was in the first place. So I think, you know, really with anything that I learn, I always start by researching, just researching about the people and the music itself. And then I'll usually start looking at the score, um, mm -hmm. just making a quick outline of the range and making sure that it it's going to feel good and making mental notes of places where I'm going to need extra work. Um, you know, the more you train and the more you know your voice, you just kind of know which thoughts are going to work great and which thoughts you're really going to have to focus a little bit more on. And I listen, of course, to lots of different recordings and interpretations. And this sounds kind of funny, but I go on a lot of walks and I'll sing to myself. So I'm pretty sure everybody in my neighborhood thinks I'm crazy. Um, <laughs> but that's I love um, moving and putting music into my body while I'm doing some kind of exercise. So I take a lot of walks at night, walking down the sidewalk and, and singing out loud. <laughs> uh, hey, if you can, if you can do a little bit of work while you're exercising or be healthy, I think that's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I also feel like, especially with singing, it's such a bodily um, art, you know, your voice is your, your body is your instrument. And so for me, learning music, if I can be moving my body too, I don't know, it just sticks with me better. It helps me helps me memorize it better and, and feel it better. I agree. And uh, you, you can keep it going all day long, really. That's I, right. Even when I'm driving to work, sometimes I'm, I'm studying a score, not looking at the score, but in my head, I'm thinking of certain things. I'm singing it inside my head. All the um, time. Yeah. And I won't conduct in the car. I, you know, that'd be crazy to <laughs> be on the highway and see me waving arm, but, but I am thinking about it. Um, not taking away from driving. I am thinking about driving too, but. <laughs> uh, so, Will, how about you? What's your creative process like? Yeah, I, I can't say that I've um, uh, become brave enough to sing in the streets like Nicole. <laughs> uh, but I, uh, I do think there's a lot to like, like she said, the the researching uh, aspect of it, becoming um, uh, intimately aware of of the piece of music, the text, et cetera, et cetera. And, and finding as many ways as possible to um, really kind of fall in love with it. Mm -hmm. um, and I think for me, 
where that manifests primarily is in score study. It's kind of me and and the music. Um, and that's just it, you know, no distractions, everything kind of put away and uh, mapping it out, kind of um, uh, making sort of a game plan, a mental game plan of, um, okay, this, you know, I can do maybe some nuance here or, or um, oh, this, this spot looks like it might be a little tricky in my voice. So I'll, I'll want to pay real close attention to that. Um, and just kind of walking through those sorts of steps and, and uh, again, like Nicole, listening to recordings can really um, uh, help add to the inspiration as well. And um, yeah, uh, you know, you don't you don't fall in love with every piece, but um, you do try to find something that um, really resonates with you and um, and and run with it and and take it and um, uh, also also um, trying to figure out um what you're communicating and why you're communicating it i think that's that's a something else i like to spend time on um, you know you're, you're right though uh you're not going to love some pieces as much as as others and i've always told my students when you're on stage performing it it's as if the it's the you're in love with that piece no more than any other that that's that's the best piece ever and that's just part of the, yep. the job Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yep. Um, let me ask you both. Uh, is there anybody in particular, it could be anybody in the world that you would really like to collaborate with? Oh, that's easy for me, actually. <laughs> I, you know, in this, well, maybe it's not, she's not a household name, but I just love Renee Fleming. Um, oh, yeah. And I've loved her voice and you know, especially after reading her book, she wrote a book called The Inner Voice, and she talks about kind of how how she views her career and things she struggled with. And but every time I listen to her, it's just like butter. And I I would love to collaborate with her for sure. <laughs> and if he if he were alive, Pavarotti, um, I've always loved him. You know, it's crazy to me that a lot of my students don't even know who he is. Mm. Um, so, you know, I I watched a documentary that Ron Howard produced in 2019, and it's called Pavarotti. So, if any of you listening uh, want to view that, it's an an incredible documentary with original footage from Pavarotti's life and. You know, of course, we all know the voice, but the man behind that voice, he's funny and he's so down to earth. And yes. if, he were, if he were still alive, I would love to collaborate with him. A definite personality. Yeah. And it's yep. amazing. you're right. Uh, some students don't know. And it's our job as, as teachers, as performers to uh, keep that history going for sure. That's right. Yeah. And Will, how about you? Uh, I would probably have to say the same answer. <laughs> uh, it would be awesome to sing next to Renee Fleming. Um, I, I had the privilege of getting to meet her. Uh, mm -hmm. And the amazing thing about her is that she's an incredibly down to earth person. And you wouldn't think it given the career that she's had and the um, and kind of how she carries herself on stage. But um, it's almost like a persona she takes on. Um, but when you meet her, she's super down to earth and um, uh, kind of unassuming. Um, but I, I will also say that um, a couple of 
baritones that I really look up to and uh, it'd be great to collaborate with them in some capacity, certainly to just get a close up look um, into their uh, approach and to how they do things. Um, Simon Keenly side uh, is someone I've really admired from afar. Uh, Gerald Finley and Thomas Allen are two others that um, their vocalism and um, their um, the way they carry themselves on stage is just uh, really awesome. And I guess I would also be remiss if I didn't say Julie Andrews in there as well, if I didn't throw her in there. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, you know, for any of us, it's an honor to be in front of an orchestra, uh, whether it's me conducting or you singing or who or someone else playing an instrument as a soloist in any capacity or even playing in the orchestra as a member. Uh, but you perform when you can in front of an orchestra, but that that's that doesn't happen all the time. So you perform with piano and other different things. So tell me, is there any difference when you're singing, let's say, with a pianist as a, an accompanist besides an entire symphony orchestra as an accompanist? Yeah, I would say not in the different a difference in the way that I actually sing, um, mm -hmm. but just in the way that I experience the performance you know with an orchestra you have so many different textures and colors that really bring life to the score in a way that a piano just can't even with the most amazing pianist in the world it would never compare to everything that an orchestra can bring um, but that being said performing with a pianist is definitely more intimate Mm -hmm. And um, so sometimes I, I really actually prefer that experience because it's just you and the pianist. And um, yeah, they're both different for sure. Well, and a piano will bring a, a great pianist can bring out color in a different way than an That's orchestra right. would for yep. sure. Yep. Uh, and, a, and one person playing the piano can move in a way that an orchestra, uh, an orchestra and a, and a piano moves in different ways as far as, Mm -hmm. uh, rubato or motion or, or turn here or there. It's, it's, it is definitely different. Uh, how about you, Will? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, they both have uh, their challenges, but they both also have uh, their strengths. And, uh, you know, there's the flexibility that uh, a pianist and a singer can have um, that in many ways doesn't really need to be rehearsed because the pianist can just kind of feel what the singer's about to do and and likewise singer to the pianist um but when you're having to keep you know for, you know 60 to 80 pieces together it, you're, you're a little bit more limited however like nicole said a lot of the colors that come from the different instrumentation and um uh just the thickness of the texture of the music um I mean, I will say I, I love singing with an orchestra because of that. Um, and uh, and there's something really incredible about so many people coming together to produce something uh, and pulling it off and uh, being able to um, create something beautiful together. You, you think, you know, trying to to keep all those people together and um, on track with uh, to the same goal would be almost an impossible task, but um, but it happens and it, and it's amazing when it does. Um, 
so so yeah i do i do love um i do love both but there is something about singing with an orchestra that's really um it, it adds a bit more oomph to it i guess so if you had one piece your go-to piece or it can be your favorite piece or maybe not as, as your go-to piece to perform what would it be um for me it's definitely sempre libra from la traviata and mm -hmm. it's the scene in aria from the first act it's rather long it's about nine minutes and the tenor comes in at the end um but it has everything from this gorgeous sweeping legato line to um, some coloratura and then a really fun high E flat at the end, which Verdi never wrote into the score, um, but a lot of sopranos take it. And uh, yep, that's always my go-to piece if I'm ever asked to do something that really shows off my voice um, <laughs> and one that maybe I have the most fun singing, that would be it. Great. And Will? I think for me, um, when when you first asked the question, my immediate thought was a, a role, which isn't something that you just you know roll out of bed and just do all the time. Um, <laughs> but uh, Bill, Billy Budd is a role that um, I would revisit um, anytime. Uh, but if I were to distill it down to one specific piece. Um, that I go to. I also have an affinity towards contemporary repertoire, and and um, I like a lot of uh, uh, what current composers are uh, developing and producing. And Jake Heggie is one of those composers, and he wrote an opera called Moby Dick. And there's a an aria at the end of Act One that um, Starbuck sings uh, that um, I've known for a while, and I've sung for a while, and uh, I always return to it. It's just it's just an amazing piece because um, it offers a lot in terms of the um, emotion that he's going through, um, in terms of anger and worry, and it's very aggressive in some parts, but also very lyrical in other parts. And um, and I just find it to be a, a great piece all around, and well written for the baritone voice as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, you're both accomplished musicians and uh, I know how hard it is to to do that as your uh, profession let me ask you if you weren't doing that what would you be doing now if it wasn't a musical career hmm. for me um, it would be meteorology and really? yeah I actually my dissertation for my doctorate was on how atmospheric conditions affect the human voice particularly the singers because singers always talk about how the weather, temperature, humidity, pressure, um, altitude, everything affects their singing voice in some way. But it's really just kind of myth. There's no scientific evidence. Behind <laughs> I, got, all I got news things. for you. Screen players, all the instrumentalists say oh, the same yeah. thing about the weather. <laughs> yes, that's exactly right. I came across a lot of it for string players, too. And, yep, the instrumentalists um, as a whole. But anyway, I have always had a love for uh, weather and meteorology. And actually, it has been part of my life. I've um, taught meteorology classes for the University of Oklahoma, which has the one of the top meteorology programs in the nation. 
Um, and I have also traveled to Taipei and Mexico City and Shanghai to teach radar courses. Um, it's something called dual polarization radar, um, which is pretty exciting. So I kind of have a split brain. I love the arts, but I also love science. And well, I've, yeah, I've never majored in meteorology, but I have um, incorporated that in my life uh, in in some way or another at all all times. But if I could, you know, choose that as my full-time career, that would be it if I couldn't do music. Music and meteorology, both in. That's right. Wow. Yes. <laughs> and Will, how about you? Um, I think, I think I'd say uh, probably counseling uh, of some kind, uh, mentoring of some kind. Uh, yeah, um, I just enjoy getting to know people and kind of getting to know where where they are, and yeah, offering up encouragement or or. Um, you know, empathizing or commiserating with them uh, if I can. Sure. And I can see how that can relate because music does that uh, for people as well as counseling. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I, and I would say, um, you know, I wouldn't say like music therapy as a discipline per se has been of particular interest, but I, I will say, you know, I, if I have a friend confiding in me or, or what have you, and I know that they're interested in music, but might not have been uh, aware of a particular piece, I might suggest it to them because it's, I, I might, I might find it particularly cathartic um, and think that it might help them to, uh, but yeah, music. I mean, I think everyone on this call could say that music um, uh, has had a profound impact uh, on their lives uh, in terms of um, their emotional lives. And, and, you know, like there's a particular piece of music that, you know, they go back to if they're feeling sad or if they need a pick me up or, or what have you, there's, there's always something there that just um, uh, is cathartic. Sure. sure. Well, let's move on to the performance on December 5th and talk a little bit about the program. I'll start and talk a little bit about, uh, some of the pieces that the orchestra is going to perform. And then I'd like for you guys to talk a little bit about some of the selections you're going to perform. Uh, the concert has 14 different selections and they're all relatively short uh, tunes. And like I said, it's about an hour's worth of music program. We're going to open the concert with an overture uh, to Miracle on 34th Street. Of course, that is a uh, wonderful Christmas movie. And this is actually the music to the remake in the 90s. And um, what's special about it to me is the, the music for the this movie was by Bruce Broughton. And he is a uh, really well-known film composer. He composes, lots of film composers compose concert stage music too, but he's uh, worldwide known as uh, a film composer. He wrote music to tombs, the movie Tombstone and uh, Silverado, uh, Western movies. And, and uh, but he wrote the music to this Miracle on 34th Street. And he also um, was at an artist in residence for two different semesters where uh, my other job, as you know, musicians have several jobs. I teach at the University of North Texas. And he, Bruce, was brought as um, an artist in residence two different semesters. And I just found out that uh, Bruce, I think it was two weeks ago, donated all of his scores and parts to the University of North Texas College of Music. And that's a big to-do. Wow. So um, it's 
special for me to be able to open this concert with uh, some of his music. We also have some other local uh, collaborations. We have a piece called Minor Alterations, Christmas Through the Looking Glass. And um, it's interesting, this music, actually it's, it's all Christmas tunes that people know and been arranged by David Loverian. And he's a local musician, a wonderful arranger and a saxophonist. And um, I'm really glad we're going to get to perform this work. And it's called Min Minor Alterations because imagine all of these well-known Christmas tunes. And most Christmas tunes are in major keys. But if you just alter one thing and make it minor, it um, it's, it's like a different piece you wouldn't you almost wouldn't recognize you think i know this piece i know this this tune but i can't put my finger on it what it is and just changing one thing about music can change the entire complexity of of what it is so uh there are about let's see i don't know there are about 15 different christmas tunes in this one so it's a medley and it goes by fast. And so by the time you've just about figured out what one piece is, we're on to the next one. But some of the highlights in Minor Alterations are Up on the Housetop, Carol of the Bells, Santa Claus is Coming to Town, Jolly Old St. Nicholas, Here Comes Santa Claus, We Wish You a Merry Christmas, Several Bells, Rudolph, Sleigh Ride. Can you imagine Sleigh Ride in Minor? It, it can happen. <laughs> but it's really delightful. It's not, it's not done in a dark way. It's really a lot of fun to listen to these. Um, so that, that, that I'm really looking forward to. We also have two different selections. Uh, we Three Kings of Orient Are and God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen. These are arrangements by Arthur Luck. Or, excuse me, Arthur Harris. I, and... Um, he arranged these for the Philadelphia Orchestra back in the 1960s at the uh, request of Eugene Ormandy. And these have full lush orchestrations, if you can think of that time period in the orchestra of Philadelphia at the time, just beautiful, beautiful. Well, now too, but uh, in particular in the 60s, um, made for that orchestra. And so I always like performing all these arrangements by Arthur Harris. So we've, we've put in uh, two of those. You know, when you're the music director, you... You do what the audience likes and you, you do um, what, the, what helps the orchestra grow. And then if there's any leftover, you can do what you like, too. So you have you have that choice, too. Um, speaking of um, arrangements of the you know, 60s and then into the 50s, we have an arrangement by Carmen Dragon, who was well known, especially during the 50s. This this type of lush sound from the orchestra that I'm speaking of. And uh, one of the arrangements is the Christmas Waltz. And Nicole, you're going to sing that with the orchestra. I am. And it's actually fun because the Christmas Waltz was originally written for Frank Sinatra. Yes. And, um, Frank is one of my all-time favorite jazz singers. So I've always loved this piece. I'm excited to sing so you're it. you're getting the, the best of both worlds then, yeah. That's right. And then what else are you going to perform? Any, anything you'd like to talk about, Nicole? Yeah, I'm going to be singing um, a gorgeous Christmas carol called Jesu Bambino. And this is actually the first Christmas song that I performed in public at college. So it's special. I haven't sing sung it since. So it's special for me to, to get to bring it back again and sing this. Um, so Jesu, uh, Jesus, and Bambino meaning um, little baby. But Jesu mm -hmm. Bambino is an Ita Italian-American carol. 
And it was composed really relatively not that long ago. It was composed in 1917 by an Italian named Pietro Jan. And um, the carol originally had Italian text, but I'll be singing the English setting by Frederick Martins. And um, it's got this gorgeous lilting opening. And then the chorus is going to sound very familiar. The tune is taken from the very famous Adeste Fidelis, which is, of course, a very much older carol, but we know it as um, O Come All You Faithful. That's right. And yeah, just a fun fact also, jazz keeps coming into this, but Jan taught Cole Porter, and Cole Porter wrote a lot of music theater um, that was very inspired by jazz. So that's always um, kind of fun to know too. But this Jesu uh, Bambino, it's very pastoral. Um, it talks about the night that Jesus was born. So it has a lot of nature and it paints this gorgeous picture. Um, so, yep, it's a, it's a beautiful piece. And a lot of people have recorded it from Pavarotti all the way to Nat King Cole. So it's pretty versatile as far as the performers who've sung it. And also speaking of something versatile, I'm also doing uh, not your average arrangement of Jingle Bells. <laughs> and <laughs> this is the Barbara Streisand arrangement um, that she recorded for her Christmas album, which came out in 1967. And so I think the audience will get a kick out of this one. It's, it's a pretty upbeat uh, piece with a lot of rhythmic interest. Um, so I'll be singing that one. And you mentioned the Christmas waltz and then, of course, Oh, Holy Night, the French uh, carol. So, yep. It's a wonderful selection. And, it, you know, as conductors, we're always looking because everyone knows Jingle Bells and every right. the, the famous Christmas tunes. We're always looking for different arrangements to keep it uh, exciting for the audience, especially uh, for the orchestra, for everybody. And and uh, certainly uh, Barbara Streisand and Jingle Bells goes hand in hand. <laughs> uh, I would be remiss if I didn't mention, because uh, I said David Lovrian with minor alterations, we're doing another arrangement of his also uh, called Toccata on Carol of the Bells. And a Toccata is a, a musical composition. It was originally for keyboard alone. Everybody knows the Bach uh, Toccata and Fugue in E minor for organ. Uh, but the Toccato is designed to exhibit a performer's uh, touch in a technique. It's it's a show-off. And this particular Toccato shows off the orchestra. It's a brilliant orchestration, and it's like a mini concerto for the orchestra. So we have two works by Levrian, two works arranged by Harris. And we also have some works uh, arranged by Barlow Bradford that, Will, you're going to perform. So tell us a little bit about the your selections. Yeah, so, um, yeah, it's going to be a little bit of a Barlow Bradford mini concert in, in many ways, uh, as I'll be singing three arrangements from him, which um, originally when we were corresponding um, about potential program ideas, um, I haven't shared this with anyone yet, but uh, when I sent you, as you know, Clay, a very extensive list of, of ideas and thoughts yes. and and as you were filtering through it, you came back with these suggestions. I was, <laughs> I was rather excited. <laughs> um, I, I had no idea that you would go that direction, but you did. And I was very, very happy about it. And that's just because um, 
I was introduced to Barlow Bradford's arrangements when I was in college by a very good friend of mine. And, uh, and we, <laughs> we would go on these late night drives just for fun. Um, and, uh, and, you know, we would just have our, our music nerd moment and, and, uh, <laughs> he would introduce me to something he's been listening to. I would introduce him to something he's been listening to. And we would just have our, our nerd out moment. Um, and he introduced me to Barlow Bradford and particularly a lot of his Christmas arrangements and, um, and just the use of, you know, so I was speaking of orchestral textures earlier, his use of, of orchestral texture and, um, and the different, um, chords he uses and, um, uh, just the blending of everything is just really uh, awesome. So all I'd say is I was very excited when you said, let's go with some Bradford um, because he, he actually composes primarily for choir and orchestra. And, you know, for a long time, I thought, well, I'll never get to sing those. Um, but then, then I thought, well, maybe I, I think you could adapt it to solo voice. I think it's possible. It might not quite accomplish, you know, what he was really after with it. But, um, you know, I'm, you know, I'm going to be selfish with this and, and <laughs> see if, if we can make it work. And and I think it's going to be really awesome. Um, uh, I'll be singing the Coventry Carol uh, and his arrangement is really lovely with that. Um, I wonder as I wander. Uh, and have yourself a merry little Christmas. Um, those are the arrangements that that he's done of those, and um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. And along with that, I'll be singing uh, the Christmas song, which is just mm. a fantastic, um, you know, classic that that everyone's going to know and recognize. And um, uh, yeah, and and I have uh, enjoyed singing um, through the years as well. I've had the opportunity to get to sing that in in different. Uh, occasions and uh, and so yeah, just a a standard favorite. Well, it's a wide variety of music uh, in a short amount of time and, and, and an hour's worth of music. And uh, Nicole and Will, I want to thank you both for being here today to to talk a little bit about yourself and, and about uh, the music you'll be performing with Richardson Symphony on December fifth. Uh, looking forward to it. See you both soon and uh, take care. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you so much for having us. I want to remind everyone that tickets are available at the Eisman Center ticket office and on their website at eismancenter.com. Maestro, thank you. It's always great to chat with you. And thank you, our listeners, for tuning in to Portraits and Music with Maestro Clay Catorio. I'm your producer and co-host, Ross Sievertson. Remember, if you haven't done so already, hit that subscribe button so you can get new episodes downloaded to you automatically. Reviews and ratings are always appreciated, and it helps us to provide you with more great inside conversations from the Richardson Symphony Orchestra. Until next time.